Welcome to Soul Focus Radio, where our priority is in growing, because as we grow, our power grows. I'm Berwick Madi, Davenport here with our co-host, Brother Dustin Washington. I'm excited about this show. What's going on, Dustin? Hey, good morning. Good morning. I'm, I'm double excited this morning as we have a very special guest, one of our comrades, our colleagues, uh, Ms. Bonnie Cushing. Welcome, Bonnie. Hey, welcome. I'm triple excited. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as always, we're going to jump right into the conversation. And while our listeners don't know, uh, we're excited to introduce a, a new project that we are creating and developing together, us three on the phone. And it's a project that we're calling the Next Level of Sobriety. And it really stems, all three of us from different vantage points have had experience <laughs> working within the recovery community. Um, and we started to really look at uh, what, what were some of the areas of potential areas of growth, spiritually especially, in the recovery community. And we started to really look at, beyond the recovery community, how addiction was playing out universally. Um, and we're excited to share our thoughts around the next level of sobriety. So I want, I want to jump right in. Uh, Mabdi, the next level of sobriety, what drove you to help create this idea? Well, what, what inspired me to, you know, to work with this idea is the fact that there are so many millions and millions of people who do not see themselves as being addicted, who are addicted. They're not just addicted. They're not addicted to alcohol or drugs or sex or, you know, shopping or social media, but they are addicted to suffering. And the, the, that addiction is so apparent that so many of us are so addicted to struggling and conflict and fighting, and we, we thrive on it. We need it. And we don't realize how addicted we are and the fact that we are not focused at all on really living a powerful, exciting, healthy, and happy life. And so the next level of sobriety is really about being sober beyond abstinence. And it really is challenging us to look at our ability to use all of the resources within ourselves, all of our talents, our brilliance, our genius, to benefit our lives, to bring us to fulfillment. We see that as, I see that as the next level of sobriety. And I think that until we reach that next level, we really are still drunk. If you can't maximize the full potential of your life, in a lot of ways, you're still drunk. You're drunk off of ego. And Bonnie, what would you, how would you add to that? What, was your, what drove you to help be a part of this process of the next level of sobriety? Well, there were a couple of things that really inspired me and, and animated me, gravitated me to this work. One is as a participant of a 12-step recovery program and having struggled with drugs and alcohol myself, I noticed that although there were a lot of parallels between the work I've done against oppression or to undo oppression, that in the recovery community, there was no connection with the individual, with the context in which we live. And so that pinched me in some ways because I've been deeply involved in uh, social justice movements in my life. And in the social justice movements, I felt pinched in that we're trying to collectively create a healthy society, and yet we ourselves were not healthy at all. And all of the things that have pestered and 
have denied us the health that we crave has been uh, showing up big time in the uh, collectives that I've been a part of. So there, it really, the idea of connecting a healthy self with a healthy society and a spiritual basis upon which to grow out of all of this uh, was missing for me. And so the next level of sobriety brings those two worlds and perspectives together. It's very exciting to me. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, as well, many of our listeners know that I'm also in recovery. I'm coming up upon two years in recovery myself, and this is not my first go at, at uh, recovery. You know, I've been in and out of treatment centers and 12-step meetings pretty much since I was 15 years old. You know, one of the things that I've noticed that has really pained me uh, as I attend 12-step meetings now is that there's so much talk about God being outside of ourselves and you know, a lot of self-defeating language and self-defeating behaviors. Many people are still engaged in what we would call ego-based behaviors. And, you know, one of the things that has struck me as well is how many people, you know, for me, the 12-step process, was 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 critical part of the recovery journey for me, you know, working the 12 steps of AA. But I see many people come into the rooms uh, and still don't even work the 12 steps. And just you know, seeing people not living their fulfilled their highest potential, um, what, what what stands out for you? What is it? What do you see as the cause behind that? We'll start with. Let's go back to Madi. Well, I, I think that the cause of that is, is simple. Uh, well, it's, it's simple, but yet it's complicated. 95 to 98% of all of our mental activity and all the things that we do are unconscious, part of our subconscious mind. And most of us have no clue that whatever is in our subconscious mind is what we're going to recreate over and over again in our lives. And until that somehow shifted, it remains the same. In other words, we can consciously be having this conversation. We could consciously go to meetings and talk about being sober but unless we shift the paradigm within ourselves that supports us unconsciously doing things that keeps us in the stream of being drunk, I, would, I, like, I like to use that word, but not in terms of just alcohol, but the idea of not being in our sanity because recovery is supposed to be the idea of recovering your, your sanity. So we're in a stream of really sort of unwell-minded behavior that keeps taking us toward what we don't want and we have basically succumbed to it and just say, well, this is just how it is. We're going to just ride it out. But we have to do something to transform how we think on the subconscious level because that controls the bulk of our life. Mm-hmm. And, and Madi, you worked, in, you worked in the substance abuse uh, industry, correct? Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the, first half, the first part of my career I was in substance abuse in Louisiana, you know, substance abuse counselor. I worked in it for like 10 years in, in the substance abuse arena. And what I saw was the same thing happening over and over again. It's like being in the matrix, a reoccurring. And you could see that, you know that, you know, when I say 95 to 98% of all our actions are automatic and they're beyond our consciousness, it just happens over and over again. It's like a loop. Most people are on that loop, and we don't understand that if we don't shift that, everything stays the same. Wow, mm. wow, wow. And, and, and Bonnie, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this, but this notion in traditional 12-step communities of, uh, of a, 
seeking a God outside of yourself, which, you know, keeps us disconnected from who we are, the divine nature that we all hold. How, how do you see that playing out as a hindrance towards the next level of sobriety? Well, you know, I do want to say that the 12-step program has been very good for me, um, and I'm about seven and a half years into the recovery process for myself. But I've seen, and this speaks to the idea of God being without instead of within, is that the program begins with admitting that you have a problem, but it never moves beyond that. It, we have to hang on to this ruined identity that we're given. And I, I think that's very problematic because it, it, it prevents us from seeing our true divine nature, that we have to hold on to that ruined identity. Every meeting begins with an admission. And um, so we, we stay in the problem while we have certain steps we can take that will keep us from picking up again. And this also speaks to social justice work and racial justice work is that, you know, the best we can hope for is not picking up racism and not picking up sexism and all of the other isms that, you know, we destroy each other with. And it keeps all of those systems in our society in place. So the next level is going beyond this ruined identity, going deeper, seeing how we were handed this and we were socialized into this and being able to embrace our divine identity which is our true identity. That's, that's, that's so powerful, Bonnie, because that's the, th- that's the thing that has been programmed into our subconscious mind, this ruined identity that there's something inherently wrong with us that we will never fix. So once we're a sinner, once we're ruined, we're always ruined. Once we're an alcoholic, we're always ruined. We always are going to be whatever our problem is, whatever the thing that ruined us is. And I, I agree with you totally on what you just said. Well, you know, as we think about the next level of sobriety, one of the things that has stood out to me is there's no analysis of the impact of racism or sexism. A lot of people, you know, when we think of indigenous people, for example, when we look at the high levels of alcoholism and addiction uh, in indigenous communities, that didn't exist before colonialism and the coming of the white man. And one of the things that we don't touch upon is social, social causes of addiction. How do you, both of you see that missing in the current state of the discourse around sobriety? You know, we're, we're located, we're placed into a very sick society, right? And, and yet, you know, the 12-step program talks about it as though we have, you know, we have sickened ourselves and it's only ourselves that can get semi-healthy, so to speak. So, you know, they, they talk about how accepting things as they are, which is important to see things as they really are, but that really they are exactly what they should be. That's always bristled me, that things are not as they should be. So there is no, there's no societal analysis. There's no power analysis about the frame that we're all existing within. There's no context. They don't broaden the context. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. both, it's both our participation and, and the systems and the hierarchy feeds off of all of that. So we're brought in, we're convinced that we're inadequate, 
at our very core, at our very essence. And the system then feeds on those insecurities. It, it's an incomplete picture. It's an incomplete picture. We need both sides. So I don't know if that answers your question, Dustin, but... Um, no, that was, a, that, was a, that was an incredible answer. Madi, do you want to add to that? Well, I, I look like to ask, I, I was add this. I was watching one day uh, this document, documentary on uh, children, and there, was, there were mothers who had taught their children to read at like nine months, right? They're barely speaking, but they're reading. And it, the profoundness of it stuck, sticks out, uh, of, of the idea that wherever we start our children at is where they pick up, right? So if you right. pick them up, maybe at teaching them a, high, a higher uh, idea, a higher form of mathematics, that, begins, that becomes their beginning. Let's say it's algebra. You start teaching your children algebra from kids. Before they even go to school, they learn algebra. Then, of course, when they go to school, they have a high threshold or a greater capacity to learn math beyond what the average child learns. My point is, wherever we start is where we build from. The, the masses of the people start, we are, we've been socialized and trained to start at something is wrong with you. You are not good enough. You're going to always be not good enough. That is our, that's where we start. And the reason why we lack so much, we lack the capacity to truly take on the idea that we are much greater than what we have been told that we are is because, you know, have you ever seen a, uh, an invisible yard, I mean, a yard that has invisible electric fence, and a, and a, a yard with an invisible electric fence. The dog wears a collar, and when the dog uh, hits the boundaries of the electrical fence, he receives a shock telling him to come back in the yard. So we have been, an invisible electric fence has been put in our mind, in our subconscious mind. And we won't even go to the edges of the parameter, once we have been socialized into it, we won't do anything to try to breach it, right? Mm-hmm. So we stay, within, we stay within those boundaries, and that's, that's the way we live. And what mm-hmm. Bonnie has got through saying is just how we've learned to live within those boundaries and try to make the best life that we can within those boundaries, but within those boundaries have become so sick because human, it's human nature to grow. We have to, we have to expand beyond those boundaries the boundaries in our subconscious mind, the boundaries of how we live, the boundaries in our culture. And we have to merge all of, this, all of these ideas together in order to be able to do that. The social and the spiritual must, must be integrated together in order for us to take on the fears that we have that, that represents the electrical fence in our mind. Mm-hmm. You know, it's painful to live this way, and that's such a part of the addiction thing because – you know, and when I look at uh, my whiteness and my white brothers and sisters, you know, on the deepest level, on the soul level, we know that things are wrong. This, this is, is not how we're supposed to live. But we've got that electrical fence that, you know, sews us into this. And, and so we, we take substances, we shop, we have sex indiscriminately, we do anything to try to calm and, and dull that pain. You know, it's a painful existence because it's a painful structure, right? And it's painful to believe that you're ruined from mm, the very start. It is. 
And so I hear both of you speaking to the universe, universal nature of addiction, not just people who are traditionally addicted. And both of you have alluded to, to addictions to struggle, conflict, being small, anger, whiteness, insecurity in the movement work, in the social justice movement work. Um, yes. How, how would the, the next level sobriety impact the anti-racist movement, the social justice movement that exists and take them to a higher level for both of you? I'll start with uh, uh, Bonnie and then come back to Madi. Well, I've been thinking about this and, you know, I think that the thing, the hierarchy, we, we just recreate the hierarchy within our, our movement and within our collectives. We think the best we can do is maybe reverse who's on top. We're unable to see a world where nobody's on top and no one's on the bottom and that this is, uh, that we're connected. We're really, it's an illusion that we're even separate from each other. So we're competing with ourselves. We're knocking ourselves down in this way. So, you know, to look at it as, you know, to really address the, you know, the linear and the ordinal way in which we live, because we bring that right into our movement, and mm-hmm. it destroys the movement and the power of the movement, and it destroys mm-hmm. our, our own individual power. All right. And let me follow up, Bonnie. How have you seen that play out um, in the movement specifically? And then thinking about what you know participants will experience in the Next Level Sobriety Workshop, how do you see what they will experience start to address what you've seen play out? Well, you know, I see in the movement, I've experienced the, the competition, the constant competition, the desire to make other people wrong and to prove that you're right because you have to be right, to instead of celebrate other people's advancement, development, and growth, you have to try to cut them down. I mean, I've been... And in particular, in all white spaces, you know, we could be in a circle and we're trying to heal from our whiteness, and it's like a circular firing squad, you know, Mm. the way that we Mm. pick each other off. Uh, I've just been reading about the women's movement and the women's march and all of this stuff that's, you know, splitting up there. Um, It's just crazy. I mean, we don't even need to have an oppressor because we've internalized that and play it out with each other. So it's, it's yeah. not a healthy environment at all. Next level mm. sobriety really starts to address why it is the insecurities and the fear and the ego-based behaviors that keep us locked into this. And mm. it w- can free us up from needing to compete with each other, with needing to push people out of the spotlight so that we can enjoy the spotlight, feeling as though the spotlight is a dot that can only contain one of us at any given time. Right. That's good, man. That's real good. And, Madi, what would you add to that for folks who are in the movement? Well, I, I, would, I would add the, simp- the simplest thing that says that people of color struggle with some of the same things that she talks about that white people struggle with in the circle when they are trying to come together to deal with a lot of these social injustices. We've, we've internalized that we're not good enough on a whole nother level, and we really go at each other. And until we set for our sights the idea of undoing the programming in our subconscious, 
which, by the way, controls 95 to 98% of our behavior. That means we can choose consciously to turn left today, and we can make a big deal over the fact that we turned left. But 95 to 98% of the time, we're going to turn right. And right is down, taking us down the road where we don't want to go. But we will celebrate the fact that we turn left one time or 5 to 2% of the time. But 5 to 2% of the time turning left will not bring about a different result. The results are going to come from the fact that we turn 95 to 98% right, and right is going the wrong way in terms of this analogy. So we have to start working on undoing this internalized programming that's deep in our automatic mind. And if we don't transform that, there's no, there's no real reality about transforming institutions. Where are we going to get the model from of health to be able to see how an institution could be different if we're not modeling it ourselves, if we're not mm-hmm. demonstrating how to work with each other in a way of harmony and peace and love and really pushing and supporting each other reaching the highest level? Wow. Wow. Yeah, we're coming up at the end. Any last words from uh... – either one of you. This has been a very stimulating conversation. I already know we're going to have to have a follow-up podcast to this one. Any last words? Reach for that next level of sobriety. You know, there's so much more to you than fighting against, just fighting against stuff. You know, all the time we spend fighting against stuff is time we don't spend creating anything. Think about all the time we've invested in fighting and marching and protesting. What have we created to take the place of the things we're fighting against? Mm-hmm. See, the next level of sobriety is really about that. It's about, okay, let's get sober enough and well-minded enough to start creating something for ourselves that really demonstrates how life can be, not just how it is. Bonnie? Amen. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate and love you both. Thank you so much. Thank and you. Always, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stay so focused. Beautiful, beautiful conversation. Stay so focused. Yeah. Peace. Peace. Patreon.com is a site that allows content creators to earn money for the work they are creating and sharing with the public. If you wish to support and follow content created by Soul Focus Work, visit the new Patreon account at www.patreon.com forward slash Soul Focus Work. Thank you.